Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Would you open your Bibles, please, to Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to pick up there in verse 7 where we left off last time in a Bible study that I've entitled, Beware of a Hardened Heart. Beware of a Hardened Heart. You know, hardness is all around us. We see enough of it. I mean, and, and if you don't think that there is hardness, whether it's hard situations, hard hearts, hard lives, hard challenges, hard people. You know, if you don't see enough of it, all you need to do is turn on talk radio and watch the news. And it's easy to be hardened by the condition, not only of our country, but of the world. And it shouldn't surprise us because the Bible predicts in the last days that the love of many will grow cold, that we'll live in a loveless world, a loveless culture, And I don't believe it just speaks of unbelievers, although I do see that as an application. I also believe that the love of many will grow cold within the church, among believers. That believers, as we see today, we must be warned to not have a hardened heart, to not choose to harden our hearts, to not rebel against God because of the circumstances that have come our way, because life has a way of hardening people. We see it throughout the Bible. In Exodus chapter 7, we see Pharaoh harden his heart. We're warned about the hardness of heart as it relates to divorce in Mark chapter 10, that the root of every divorce is a hardened heart. There there is a lack of faith that was surrounding Jesus in Mark chapter 3 verse 5 that leads to hardness of heart. Paul spoke of hardening hearts in Acts chapter 19 and even warned unbelievers in Romans chapter 2 about a hard heart. And you might want to jot this down if you're taking notes. It's an important thing to remember. Hard hearts are often just one offense or one decision away. Because we kind of look at and listen to a Bible study like this and hear the warning and think, oh, I'll never have a hard heart. I love Jesus Christ. I want to serve him. My faith is stirred up. And yet every single one of us is just one offense. And what I mean by that is being offended. You know, we get easily offended in the church of Jesus Christ because we're around people all the time and things don't always go our way. And we're easily offended, whether it's in church or in this world. Just one offense or one decision away from hardening our hearts. It's a choice that we make as we respond to the difficulties of life, as we respond to the mismet expectations we might have on a spouse, on a friend, on a pastor perhaps. And today, in Hebrews chapter 3, we are strongly warned to not allow our hearts to grow cold and hard and living that way without repentance because there's that slow creep of hardness that comes by living in this difficult world and there's always a high price to pay when we choose to harden our hearts. Some of the worst decisions 
that could ever be made in life are often made when we are mad, angry, frustrated, bitter, that comes from a hard heart. Good decisions don't come from hard hearts and responding to offense. And with that in mind, verse 7, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, okay, let's pause right there just for a second. I'm not going to develop this, but I don't want you to miss it. Here, the author to the Hebrews, which I believe is Paul, is reminding us that the Old Testament is written by God. Because this is a quote from the Psalms, Psalm 95, and he is attributing it to the Holy Spirit. So whenever somebody asks, who wrote the Bible? The answer is God. We've studied this in depth in other places, so you can get the studies online. But here the Holy Spirit is the author of the Scriptures, the inspiration. Human authors wrote it down, but they were inspired and carried along by the Holy Spirit. Notice verse 7. Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and proved me and saw my works forty years. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways, so I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest. Restlessness comes from a hardness of heart. Restlessness comes when we harden ourselves toward God. It's a sorrowful historical lesson that we draw upon here about the nation of Israel. Remember, we refer to the nation of Israel as the old covenant family of believers. What we refer to as the church today in the new covenant was the nation of Israel in the old covenant. So here we have a nation, a group of people, God followers, God worshipers, waiting for their Savior to come, waiting for Messiah to come. They are languishing under great pain in the country of Egypt under the leadership of Pharaoh. And they are slaves building all of Pharaoh's building projects. And they hate it there. The Bible even speaks of Pharaoh making it harder for them and harder for them and harder for them, where they cry out to God, deliver us, deliver us. We can't live in these conditions anymore. We want somebody to help us. And what does God do in response? He raises up a deliverer. You Bible students know that deliverer, his name is Moses. God sends Moses, who becomes a type and a picture of Jesus Christ, to deliver the children of Israel from their slavery. Egypt becomes a picture of the world. Pharaoh, even a type of the devil, where they were in bondage, enslaved to a cruel master, and God delivers them and reveals himself to them in miraculous, powerful ways. He also promises them rest and peace in a particular area of land. We re often refer to that as the promised land. The nation of Israel today occupies a small portion of all that God promised them. Like the nation of Israel exists today in fulfillment of the promises of God. Even though they're not occupying everything that God gave them, they are back in the land as God promised, even today since 1948, recognized as a unique entity we know in the Bible as the children of Israel. So they get to the edge, 
and they're ready to enter in, would you turn your Bibles over to hold your place in Hebrews? Go to Numbers chapter 13. We're going to develop this in a later study, but I want you to see it now for the sake of context. Because the promised land, rest, and resting in the Lord, and even our Sabbath rest are all going to be topics as we jump in from three, chapter 3 to chapter 4. But I want you to understand where they're at and, and how they ended up in the wilderness, how they ended up in their wandering They get right to the edge of the promised land, and in Numbers chapter 13, they have these elders that were hand-selected. They were sent into the land to bring back a report on what it's like. It says in verse 25 of Numbers chapter 13, and they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. So they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Now, I wish they would have stopped there because what they saw was exactly what God said would be there. It was the promise of God. It's a a land of milk and honey. It's a land of plenty. It's a land of rest. But then there's that word in verse 28. Nevertheless, that's not going to lead somewhere good. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites, they all dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. And then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let's go up at once and take possession, for we are all well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a, let's read this together, they gave the children of Israel a bad report. Not a good report, but a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people we saw in it are men of great stature. And we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and we, so we were in their sight. This bad report demoralizes the people. They came back with a report of exactly what God said it would be like. It's going to be hard and difficult. Large cities, large walls, giants. It's going to be warfare. But I'm with you. I have given you, God tells the children of God, I have given you the land. And so it doesn't matter who's in the land. It doesn't matter who the giants are. It doesn't matter how big the walls are. The land belongs to God, and he is going to give it to them. But this bad report, notice chapter 14 now, verse 1. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people cried all that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. If only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should become victims? Would it be not be better for us to return to Egypt? If this was a movie, right now they're going to change the music and it's going to be boo. What do you mean you want to go back to Egypt? Are you crazy? 
You just got delivered from Egypt. You just spent all day and all night working, and in your moments, you would cry out for deliverance. You wanted to get out of Egypt. You wanted nothing to do with Egypt. It was destroying your families, destroying your kids. It was, Pharaoh was cruel. You had no future there, no hope there. And as Egypt becomes a type of the world, that's exactly the same theory. The world keeps people in bondage. Promises much, but delivers nothing. You know, the world system in which when they promise you, oh, peace, oh, if, if you drink this, if you take this, if you do this, you'll be just as happy as everyone on the commercials. That's what they promise, but they deliver death, destruction, discouragement, because there's nothing in this world that will fulfill the emptiness in your life. Nothing, nothing. Only Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, can give to you the fullness of the longing in your heart. Only Jesus, the, the Savior of the world that was sent to this earth, God in human flesh, only Jesus can remove the pain and the penalty of sin in your life and remove the condemnation and the weight of guilt that you carry around every day. It's only through his forgiveness. Nothing in this world, no false religion, no substance, no philosophy, Nothing will give you the rest and peace that Jesus Christ himself offers by faith. And they cry for Egypt. You know, we don't normally say, we want to go back to Egypt. Now, of course, we did some ministry in Egypt, and so sometimes we would say we want to go back and do ministry in Egypt, but not like this. So we don't say we want to go back to Egypt, but we do start thinking about going back to our formal life. We, we do say, you know, we, you know, in our emotion, fueled by believing the lies of the enemy, we think going backwards is going to be best, or going back to what we were delivered from would be best. But, but God, he reminds us through the prophet Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. This is Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart, and I test the mind. And this, grow, this growing nation, as they come to the edge of the promised land, and they're about ready to head into battle, probably had a good understanding of God for about a year. And here they are, ready to move in. In Egypt, they didn't understand him very much. It was just cruel work and, and just under the heavy weight of the Pharaoh. But now being delivered, they're beginning to see how much God loves them and cares for them. And now they want to go backwards? Is that you today? Have you really been thinking about going backwards? Have you really been thinking about calling it quits? Have you been really thinking about this is too much? I don't think God's in this. I don't like the way it's turning out. The word of God today for you is don't harden your hearts. Going backwards it has nothing for you. Abandoning where God is calling you moving forward will not get you where you really want to go. Taking things into your own hands instead of trusting God in this particular situation will not benefit you. Only trusting God will benefit you. You know, here's the thing. When you don't fully understand the plan of God, when you don't fully understand what, you're, what he's doing in your life and what the situation is, this is what happens. When you lack understanding, that often leads to misunderstanding and misinterpreting the circumstances in your life. And when you misinterpret the circumstances in your life, then you begin to misinterpret and misunderstand the God of the circumstances, the sovereign God who saved you and loves you 
and plucked you out of Egypt, plucked you out of the world. But you know, things can get so hard and so difficult that we respond to it like, I just don't think God's for me. We start saying things like that. I don't think God remembers me. I don't think God's very nice right now. Why would he be allowing this? Why am I, so, why, why am I in so much pain? Why are you allowing God to these people to do that? You, you start saying, you know, I think this may be God's punishment on me. Or this tough time in my life is God must not love me anymore or care for me. But that's not true. That's not the love of our Heavenly Father. It might be the love of some humans down the road, but it's not God. You see, the more we learn of God, the more we realize that He's not a God to get mad at. He's full of love and mercy and compassion and grace. And yeah, He's led you to the edge of the promised land, but not, to, not, not so that you would cower in fear and anxiety. I, I mean, I get this because just yesterday on my way into church, you know, normally I'm listening to a Bible study on my way in and, and just enjoying the drive. And yesterday I just felt I've been praying about something for two or three days now. And, and so I just felt like the Lord is telling me, just turn the radio off and pray all the way in. And so I did. And so I'm just talking in my car. And I'm sure people looking at me going, who's he talking? You know, whatever. I'm just talking in my car. And I like, God, you know. And one of the things I said is, you know, God, I just don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand it. And I started, you know, sharing some things with God of why if I was in their shoes, I'd understand. And I was, I don't understand. And it was almost like God just spoke so quickly. And he said something along the lines, Ed, even if I gave you understanding, it still would not help your unbelief. I'm like, wow, is there another Ed on the road around me? Or is this like unbelief? Yeah, we'll find out in a moment that that unbelief is tied to hardness of heart. And, and I'm just one of those guys that I thrive when I understand things. I thrive when I can see more of the big picture. I have great comfort when I can see, well, I can see this and this and then maybe this and it all worked together. But the Bible teaches us that the life of the believer is not based on understanding. It's based on faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Oh, it's not that God won't give you understanding of who he is. It's not that God won't give you understanding. Like, the Christian faith is based on facts. It's not a leap of faith into darkness. It's based on historical, verifiable facts, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's not what I'm speaking of. What I'm speaking to is in the circumstances of life, as you grasp and want to understand why, God's answer will often be, even if I told you why, it still wouldn't be enough for you trust me. And we have no other choice but to trust our loving God who saved us and gave himself for us. They got so upset. Check this out in verse 4, back in Numbers, just before we get back to Hebrews. They got so mad that they said to one another, let us select another leader and return to Egypt. They want to get rid of Moses. They are mad at Moses. And, you know, those that serve in ministry can relate to Moses here sometimes, where the pastors and the leaders get all the flack for the issues in people's hearts. And this is a solution that many people would make. Give us a leader that we want and that we like and we'll do what we tell them to do. As if Moses was some horrible leader. He wasn't. He was doing exactly what God called him to do. And it hasn't changed much today. Paul would even warn of the last days that there'll be people that will raise up for themselves teachers that will tickle their ears and, and satisfy what they want to hear. So guard your hearts when it comes to even spiritual leaders in your life. 
In this church, and if you're from another church, in your church, be careful with your hearts toward your leaders. Because if you're here because of me, then I will let you down and I will disappoint you. And if anyone that has been here for any length of time knows that I will disappoint and I'm not perfect. My family's not perfect. And this church isn't perfect. As we learned last time, I believe that we should love and serve and honor the pastors and leaders that God has put in our lives. We're not to worship them, but we're to honor them and we're to serve them in like-mindedness. But we're also to remember that they're human and they're going to make, us make mistakes and pastors and leaders will offend you. You'll be offended here. Maybe you're sitting here today and go, Ed, you have offended me. And I only have one response to that and that is to ask for your forgiveness. The right way to handle offense is not to run away and go, oh, I need a new leader. The right way to handle offense is to go to your brother, you and him alone, share your beef with him. A beef is not in the Bible. Share the issue with him. And if he hears you, you've won your brother. But if you think that you're going to be in a, a group of believers, any group of believers, and not experience mistakes, and not experience failure, if you think, I, you think I never make mistakes, or that Marie and I never, as a marriage, never make mistakes, then, and, then you're just going to be disappointed. You're going to be discouraged the first time you see me make a mistake. The first time I do something that, that doesn't, doesn't line up with what you wanted. And we just have to keep our eyes on the Lord and help one another and encourage one another. But, but we, if we go, oh, I need another pastor, oh, I need another, you just rise up, we need another pastor. Well, I'm sorry to tell you, I'm who God has given you for now. So you're just gonna have to deal with it. That's the way it is. And we'll all just move forward in our imperfections. Because isn't it easier? And let's just be real here. Whether it's me or the pastoral team or the lay leaders that work, you know, 40, 50 hours a week and then put in extra hours to serve in their church, like it doesn't matter who it might be. I mean, don't you know by now that offenses come? And don't you know? Haven't you learned yet, though, that you too offend people? That you too have your own issues? And so you have issues, we have issues, but together we meet at the cross as our eyes are on Jesus Christ. He's the fixer of our issues. <laughs> He's the one that helps us on the journey and how careful we need to be because it'll be a, a constant search. Give me another leader, give me another leader. God's answer to them, I'm not giving you another leader. Instead, you're gonna wander in the wilderness for 40 years and never enter into my rest. And nobody wants to live their life like that. Give us a new leader. No. And if you're a spiritual leader here today, you're a pastor, you're a leader here in this church, you're a leader in your church, you're a lay leader, whatever it might be, listen, you need to realize that serving in ministry can bring with it a lot of pain and misery. And you just need to understand that. It's not all it's cracked up to be or what you think it might be. But a pastor's position and role is often being involved in a lot of pain and a lot of misery. You'll be like a lightning rod for all sorts of problems. You know how you have your own issues, then you have your own marriage issues, then you have your own family issues. Well, with all of that, then you're ministering primarily to people that have deep issues that are a consequence of sin in their life. And then they, the, oftentimes the hurting people will always hurt people, and who will they hurt but the people closest to them. And so a lot of times, as a servant, as a leader, as a pastor, you've now got to take on all the burden of 
of the issues in other people's lives, and people blame you for things that you have nothing to do with, because it's easier to see sin in someone else than just to look in the mirror and repent of your own sins. And so it's just a warning. If God has called you into the ministry, it will be hard. It will be difficult. But it will be doable and enjoyable and one of the most richest, most fulfilling things that you could possibly do on the earth as you serve God and his people in the spirit and not in the flesh. And so they didn't need a new leader. Come back to Hebrews now. Today, he says, if you'll hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Notice verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you have, be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our confidence, steadfast to the end. While it's said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt by Moses? Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not all those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? This whole group that was, that was murmuring and complaining and fearful because of that bad report, they went through and spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness, and it was their kids and grandkids that entered in, and not them. And Joshua, Caleb, and Moses, they entered in with the next generation. Well, really not Moses. He got in later on the Mount of Transfiguration because Moses had his own issues as a leader and didn't get to enter in. Verse 18, to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? That whole generation lost out of all that God had for them because they rebelled. I don't know if you've ever associated things in your life with evil. You know, because as believers now, we don't think we do anything evil anymore. We just don't talk about it. And evil to us is, is unbelievers or outside of the church or people that don't know God. But the Bible says here that a hardened heart and unbelief is evil. And be careful of it. It also teaches us that sin is deceitful. The deceitfulness of sin. Sin is a liar. And every root, the root of every time we sin is believing a lie. And we have to be careful because unbelief, hardening our hearts, rebellion, these are all words that we would probably never associate to ourselves, but the Bible does. When we're in rebellion, when we're exercising unbelief, I mean, come on, this, this happens so often in our lives, in my life. I can't tell you how many times I've responded to God in unbelief. Oh, not that I have given up on God at all or that I've walked away from Jesus, but that I just don't believe in the moment or I doubt what God wants to do. And God just wants, he doesn't want me to be comfortable there. He doesn't want you to be comfortable in unbelief. Like, oh, you know, we all go through unbelief and everybody. No, it's evil. And it comes from an evil heart that we're new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's not God's heart for you to be an unbelieving believer. He wants us to believe, to step out in faith, to trust him, to know that he's working all things together for the good, for those that love him, those that are called according to his purpose. It's not good. God doesn't approve when we choose to harden our hearts and to think that we could be involved in evil things. We can. We can as we choose to turn 
against the God who loves us. God wants you to live in the fullness of all that he has for you. He wants you to experience all that you can think of and beyond. But notice the last verse in 19. It says, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Everyone that expressed unbelief did not enter in. Everyone that responded to the bad report of men instead of trusting the good word of the Lord did not enter in. They wandered and wandered and wandered in a dark, dreary time of their lives where they all died in the wilderness. And it was their kids and grandkids as we saw moving in. We'll develop this in a later Bible study in the context of Hebrews. But don't think that it can't happen to you. Perhaps that's even describing your life today that you're wandering, wandering, and wandering, wandering because of unbelief, because you've chosen not to trust God. And so what does he say in verse 13? Exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That's one of the responsibilities that we have as a church family is to encourage one another daily, every single day, Every day we should be encouraging someone to steady on in faith and to believe God. Like right now, like we gather together in the church. Why? So that we can exhort one another daily. This time is to be encouraged. We're to encourage one another. We're to strengthen one another. We're to remind one another of the goodness of God. Like right now, I just want you to turn to somebody and say, stay strong in your faith and trust God. Say something like that. Just say it in the room. Just exhort one another daily. Encourage them in the Lord. Now turn to the other side. Turn to the other side. Tell the other person. If somebody's too far from you, yell it across the room. God is for you. Exhort one another daily. Don't live in unbelief. All for all of you downstairs and all of you on the radio and all of you watching online right now, don't walk away from the Lord. Stay strong in Him. Believe in Him. He loves you. He cares for you. Every day we should be doing this. You know, we can text people, we can email people, we can call people, we can, we can show up at their door. But you know, here's what happens. We get so religious and in routine, it's a discouraging thing. For some of you, it, it's not even from the distance of your chair to your car that you are already thinking, will it be black beans or pinto beans on my burrito? So quick. And I got to get my car washed. I got to get my dog washed. And I got new shoes over here. Whatever. From just from here to not even to the door, you're thinking about it. Some of you already put your order in. And I'm going to go long just so it's cold when you get there. It's discouraging at times when the conversations after a Bible study so quickly turn to things that have nothing to do with God, with what God is just telling you. And... You know, God wants you in this time to exhort one another. On your drive home, you should be talking about what did the Lord share with you? What did God share with you? When you're going downstairs to pick up your kiddos, asking them about Sunday school and talking about the things of the Lord, we should be doing this every day. Why? Because all of us are tempted with the deceitfulness of sin. And you just never know. God put someone on your heart, send them a note. Send that scripture. Show up at their door if you need to. You've been sitting in the same area in the sanctuary. You notice that family hasn't been here in a few weeks. You know, when you're greeting people, get their info. Because I'm wondering where they're at too. What God's doing in their life. I hope they're okay. I hope they're still walking with the Lord. It's always a discouragement. I hear somebody left and they're not even walking with the Lord anymore. 
It hurts. It hurts. I was just reading this morning, Pastor Greg Laurie just wrote a new book. I got an advanced copy of it. It's called Jesus Revolution. It's going to be one of our picks here soon. And so I was reading a couple of chapters uh, this morning before I came in. And, and he shares in one of the chapters, just so sad, because he was involved in the Jesus movement, in revival. He got saved in revival, man, where hippies were getting crazy saved and churches were just packed with people and it was an amazing revival. And so he was involved. He's an evangelist. People getting saved all around him, his friends, high school. And then in the chapter today, he was talking about how people that he walked with aren't walking with the Lord anymore. That, that so quickly, even in the midst of revival, they went back to drugs. They went back to some crazy cult or some crazy Hindu religion and they, they walked away from the Lord and they walked away from Jesus. I mean, they were right there and so quickly they went back and it's discouraging. We need to exhort one another daily. Every day you should be telling somebody to steady on in their walk with the Lord. Every day, every day. You should be looking for some, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your kids, whether it's your coworkers, whether it's friends. If you're an overseer here, you should always be reaching out to the people that serve with you. If you're a pastor here, you should always be reaching out to the people. Like, man, we need to exhort one another daily, today, every day that is today, because people are falling like flies and walking away from God. They're turning in, turning back, because of difficulties and hardships and just the allure and temptation. I, I don't know if it's just me. Again, I, I see these seasons, and I'll end here, but I've just seen a season recently of backslidden teenage kids. And sitting across from parents like that, it's just, what do you do? And just watching, they just don't even want anything to do with God anymore. They were raised in a godly home. They served here with great joy and fruit. And now, they want nothing to do with God, or now they just want to argue theology all the time, or now they just want to, whatever it might be, and it's just so discouraging. And one of the antidotes to that discouragement is exhort one another daily. Not weekly, not monthly, but daily. So that verse 19 doesn't happen to us, that we don't enter into the rest as we'll get to in further studies because we have unbelief. Don't harden your hearts, church. Stay strong in the grace of God. Father, as we turn our hearts and attention towards you today, I know that this is a relevant uh, exhortation to us. I pray for the parents that I know of with backslidden children. Um, and, you know, to them, they're kids, but they're basically teenagers and adults that have walked away from you because they don't care and they don't want it or they're hurt or they're upset. And the deceitfulness of sin is just so stinking deceitful, Lord, that you would protect all of our hearts. Your word says in Proverbs chapter 4 that we need to guard our heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. And we just need the strength and wisdom to guard our hearts, God, to stay strong and steady for you. So would you pour out your spirit today upon us that we might grow in your grace and grow in your knowledge. In Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. 
Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.